Lord, uphold me that I may uplift you. Amen. This week we have been taking the theme of good news is our business. On Monday we saw that it was the job of all Christians to be actively engaged in passing on the good news, whatever way we could. Yesterday we looked at the heart of the good news that we have to share. Today, I'd love to share with you four things that each of us can do to pass this good news on to somebody else. Not the clergy, but that everybody can do. Here are the four words. Demonstration, invitation, commendation, and explanation. We can all do those four. Let's have a look at them. Demonstration. Nobody is going to listen to what we say about Jesus Christ unless it is plain that he makes a real difference in our lives. And so Jesus tells us that we've got to be salt in society. We've got to be light in the world. St. Paul calls on us to renounce shameful things that we hide in our lives and to demonstrate God's reality by the way that we live. Christ died, he tells us, to redeem us from all crooked behaviour and to purify for himself a people of his own who are zealous for good deeds. People, I think, are rightly fed up with churchy words. They want to see if it makes any difference in our lives. They want to see Christians who are a bit more like Christ. And so our lives need to have something about them that just stops somebody in their tracks and makes them say, hey, why do they do that? had an experience like that yesterday when I was on the receiving end of an amazing piece of generosity. And um, I knew that this was because the person who did it um, loved Jesus Christ. And he did it to me for that sake. If I wasn't yet a Christian, it would have made me say, hey, why does he do that to me? And once a person is asking that question, they're on the way. Demonstration. Can't do without it. We've got to show in a changed life the difference that Jesus can make. Secondly, invitation. That follows. As we live a Christian life before our friends, and as we pray for them by name and persistently, then opportunities will come to invite them to something that will help them. Maybe a film, maybe a talk, maybe a celebration, or maybe simply to come with us to church on Sunday. You know, statistics show that a large majority of adults in the U.S. will in due course accept an invitation to church from a friend. And over 75% of the adult converts in this country come to a living faith in response to an invitation from someone they trust. That's the good news. But here's the bad news. Only about 3% of church people ever ask anyone even to come to church with them. 
Let's change that, shall we? Let's start tomorrow when I want to explain in this short lunchtime talk the way in which anyone can come to a living faith in Christ. I want to do it as clearly and compellingly as I can. And I want you to bring with you somebody who probably doesn't yet have that faith in Christ. Let's be like Andrew in the Gospels, who as soon as he'd um, had a, a, a personal time with Jesus one afternoon and evening, ran back to invite his brother Simon Peter and urge him to come along and join him. God wants you to be his mouthpiece. He has no hands, he has no mouths, no feet, but ours today. He wants you to be his mouthpiece, his inviter. Demonstration, invitation. I wonder if you'll go for it. Here's the third word, commendation. You see, each of us can go further than giving an invitation. We can tell our friend a little bit about the difference that Jesus Christ has made in our lives. We can give him a personal commendation, if you like to put it like that. Think of two wonderful examples in the Gospels. The much-married woman of Samaria, uh, who had a life-changing interview with Jesus at the well one day, rushed back to the male circle that she felt most at home in. And she said, I found a real man who told me all that ever I did. Could he be the Messiah? She gave a commendation to Jesus. Or think of the blind man who was healed by Jesus on a Sabbath day. And the religious authorities were hopping mad. And they leaned on this poor chap to persuade him that Jesus hadn't healed him at all. We know that he's a sinner, they said. He's broken the Sabbath. He can't have opened your eyes. And the man gives this wonderful answer to them. The marvellous non-theological answer. It's brilliant. Whether he's a sinner or not, I wouldn't know. But one thing I know, whereas I was blind, now I can see. And of course, they could say nothing against it. Neither can they say anything against you. If you say a word about what the Lord has done for you. Maybe an addiction in your life that he's broken. Maybe a new joy and a peace that he has given once you've surrendered your life to him. Maybe the comfort that he has been to you um, in a time of deep personal crisis or bereavement. They cannot deny your experience, so give it to them. That's a real encouragement. Then should remove our fear. One of the biggest needs in the church today is not more money or more preachers, but more Christians who, when opportunity offers, in work or in leisure, they're prepared to tell a friend just a little bit about what Jesus means to them. I think of the story of two friends who played golf regularly. One was a follower of Jesus, the other was not. The Christian never mentioned his faith. And then his friend fell ill and lay dying. And the Christian then plucked up courage to try and say something about Jesus to his friend as he lay 
are dying on his bed. And the dying man looked up and said, No, John, I can't believe you. If you really thought it so important, you'd have told it to me years ago with all those golf games we've played together. God wants us to commend his good news to our circle of friends. And when we do, they may well ask us to give an explanation. Demonstration, invitation, commendation, explanation. It's not as difficult to explain the way to faith in Christ as we sometimes fear. There's a lovely account in the Acts chapter 8. There's Bibles in the pews, you might even like to look it up now. It's a story of a businessman, Philip, who helped a significant individual to faith in Jesus. A man he'd never even met before. It's the story of Philip and the Ethiopian uh, treasurer uh, in their government. We can learn a lot from this story. I've got seven little gems to lay before you. Here's the first one. Philip was obedient to the repeated nudge of God's Holy Spirit to leave what he was doing, which was actually some very significant church work in Samaria, leave that behind and go into the desert to speak to someone. He didn't know who. But there was the nudge. The messenger, the angel of the Lord spoke to him. The spirit of the Lord whispered in his ear, go, I've got a job for you to do in the desert. He could easily have said, hey look, I've got a great job going on here. Why do I need to go into the desert? But he didn't. He obeyed. We sometimes get nudges like that. Go talk to that person. And often we take no notice. Let's take the risk when God prompts us. Let's see where it leads. If we make a mistake, we just apologize. There's no hassle. Philip was obedient to the nudge. And the second thing I noticed is, on this occasion, um, it led to this official uh, who was driving down the desert road in his chariot, an absolutely deserted area in the Gaza Strip. And Philip um, ran up to this man when he could see his chariot coming um, down the road. And um, as he ran, he heard the guy reading a bit of the prophet Isaiah out loud. They did read aloud in those days, and so that's uh, how Philip heard it. And amazed, he asked the chap a question. Do you understand what you're reading? Isn't that shrewd? Philip had got two ears and one mouth. So have you. He knew that it's wise to try and hear where people are at before we try and communicate the good news to them. Because that will enable us to do it in terms they understand and to really interact with their situation. The third thing I see here is that at once the man invites Philip to come and sit alongside him in the chariot. We can never help anyone from a position of superiority, you know, six feet above contradiction. We can't get anywhere that way. It's only as we come alongside people in love and helpfulness that they're going to want to listen 
to our testimony about Jesus. And to his surprise, he found that this man who was rich, but he was empty. He was religious, he'd just been up to a religious festival in Jerusalem, but he was still lost in the fog. Lots of people out there like that. Of course, there are lots of people who don't want to know, but there's lots of people who are seeking and searching if only somebody will come and sit alongside. The fourth thing I see in this glorious story is that Philip realized the man was reading from Isaiah 53. Like a sheep he was led to the short slaughter, like a lamb silent before its shearer he does not open his mouth, and so on. Would you have recognized that passage? We need to know our way about the Bible. And if that's too difficult, and it's a big book, why not on the back page of your Bible, where there's some spare space, why not jot down one or two verses that have been a help to you, that therefore could be a help to somebody else? So that when they're asking you about Christian things, you'll know how to turn them to a relevant spot without embarrassment scratching your head and saying, I know there's a verse somewhere that says something. And you see, sometimes they really do ask. And this man asked, about whom does the prophet speak, Philip? About himself or somebody else? And then Philip opened his mouth and he began the fifth thing, his explanation of the way to Jesus. He would have started, of course, in Isaiah 53, where the man already was. It's always great to start where people are. He would have turned him to Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him this suffering servant, later fulfilled in Jesus. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He'd have pointed further down that chapter to the, the Jesus who was stricken down for the transgressions of the people. He'd have pointed out how the Lord made him a sin offering so that one day he would be exalted to new life and he would see his spiritual offering and prolong his days. Well, we won't always find people probably never find people already reading Isaiah 53. But perhaps a simple outline we might like to start with has the first four letters of the alphabet. A, B, C, D. To help your friend get clear on the way to Christ, there is first of all something A, to admit that he hasn't got there yet. And that the bad stuff in his life has made a barrier between him and God and has got him in a grip. Secondly, be to believe. Not the Bible from cover to cover. Not everything that the general convention has said, God forbid. But to believe enough to get started. Namely that God has brought Jesus to be our rescuer from the guilt of sin by what he did on the cross, and from the power of it, by his resurrection. Something to believe, something to consider, 
And that is the cost of following Jesus. Because it means he needs to be the number one in our lives. And we need to be the unembarrassed followers of him, trying to please him and put him in the top place. Something to admit, something to believe, something to consider, and finally something to do. To accept the gift of Christ into our lives, to clinch the deal, to make a life decision to follow Jesus Christ. And then, sixthly, that, of course, is exactly what the Ethiopian did. He didn't just give mental assent to what had been told him. He clinched it in baptism. And there needs to be that firm, unrepeatable decision if we are to start a genuine Christian life. You know, the Lord wants you and me to be like Philip, ready to follow his nudge, Listening before we speak. Sensitive and friendly. Ready to grasp fleeting opportunities. If Philip had missed this, Ethiopia wouldn't have been reached for a very long time. And then the willingness to explain the way to Jesus and to encourage our friend to take that step and ask him into the life. And the last thing that I see from this lovely passage, two things actually. One, the Ethiopian went on his way rejoicing. Jesus really is good news. He doesn't come to cabin and crib and confine our lives, but to give life at his very best. And then I like the other thing is Philip's enthusiasm. That grabs me. This man ran in the heat of the midday desert sun to reach this Ethiopian. Why? Because he'd found treasure and he longed to share it with him. If you have found Jesus as your treasure, you're going to want to share it in your life. Show it in your life. You're going to want to issue appropriate invitations. You're going to want to commend him when appropriate. And you're going to want to explain the way to Jesus if you can. This one-to-one -one work is so exciting and it's something any one of us can do. You might like to get hold of uh, a book uh, on sale in the parish hall as you line up for lunch today called Sharing Your Faith with Family and Friends. But in any case, good news is our business. Let's go for it. Especially tomorrow, where I do urge you to bring somebody with you. Because I want to explain the way in which anyone who's still a bit confused about it can clinch the deal like that Ethiopian did long ago. Let's have a prayer. Lord, we thank you that you do not only bring us into your family, but you put us into your employment. You want our lives to show your difference. You want us to be ready inviters to appropriate things. You want us to be willing to give a personal commendation to your son. And you want us to become increasingly competent at explaining the way to find him.
And so we offer ourselves to you this lunchtime. Pray that you will do your gracious work in our hearts and bring this more and more to reality in our lives. And we pray that tomorrow there will be people who are still rather fuzzy about this, who come to a clear understanding of how they can clinch that deal and find you for themselves. To the glory of your great name. Amen. Now let's say the grace together. If you're sitting next to somebody, grab a hand. We're all part of the same family. Together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. I didn't hear you. We'll say it again. Loud and clear. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the love of God. And the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Be with us all evermore. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.